All right. For sure, for sure. Welcome to Seven Generations Black, the podcast power to equip and inform you, clear your lens and present a new perspective with the one and only Theo E.J. Wilson, the one and only H. Soul, nothing but Mr. Lethal and Jice Johnson. And of course, I'm your host, Shay J. We are Seven generations, seven generations black. The podcast. Aha! <laughs> Excellent. We're so excited to have you here with us. With the one and only deal. Who's got there? You got to turn, turn it down. Nothing but Mr. Lethal and Jice Johnson. And of course, I'm your host, Shay J. We are. Seven generations, seven generations black. You gotta turn it down. I'm all the way down now. Aha! <laughs> and so we're so excited to have you here with us. 
Are we still getting a talk back? We're still getting a talk back. I still hear us talking. Are we good to go? Is that yours, CJ? There we go. I think we're good. I think we're good. Okay, bear with us, guys. This is our first time, so you get to have a little bit of the glitches for the first round, but trust me, it only gets better. And you know when things like this starts to happen, it's time to put your seatbelts on for the red pillow alerts. This is your last chance. After this, there's no turning back. This is your opportunity to stop listening and tune out now. If you do, well, the story ends. And you wake up in your bed, and whatever you want to believe, will you believe? However, if you take this seven generation red pill, you stay here with us in this liberatory discussion. And we show you just how deep the rabbit hole goes. The choice is always yours. Welcome to Seven Generations Black. Now introducing my favorite panel, You've heard about each and every one of them from different walks of life, but together, they're seven generations black. Again, Theo E.J. Wilson of Shop Talk Live. Mr. Lito of the Honorable Protector Initiative. The one and only H. Soul from the Righteous Rage Institute. And Jice Johnson, the Black Business Initiative. Well, panel, it's time to Time to get into it. Let's go. We're gonna unmute Theo first and then we're gonna go. Okay, there we go. Can y'all hear me now? Yep. <laughs> All right, cool, 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 for, for sure, for sure. Ladies and gentlemen, Seven Generations Black is literally what it stands, what it sounds like. What we need to do as a people is stop thinking with the conditioned mind that was instilled in us as enslaved people and start thinking and planning as free people. And so there is a Lakota term that is about the seven generation, that's how we plan. But actually this, this ideology about planning seven generations down can be found throughout the indigenous world of all types of black folks all across the planet, okay? And what this is about is that we gotta get out of survival mode. We've been trapped in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, you keep your head down. When you're in survival mode, you only focus on what's coming out right in front of you, down the road to the end of the month, and that's all we plan for. But unfortunately, because of the forces of the powers that are around us, because of what we'll call uh, global white uh, artificial advantage, known as white supremacy, but it's just an artificial social advantage uh, due to the colonization, due to our own conditioning, that is only gonna lead us towards death. It's only gonna lead us towards stagnation. And that which is dead and stagnant has no opportunity for a future. And we're trying to get that out there. Seven Generations Black is about looking at all the avenues of advancement, looking at all the schools of thought towards progression of our people. 
and figuring out which of those avenues is going to secure life and not only the survival, but the thriving of our folks seven generations from today. And if you're not looking at it from that lens, you're not looking at it in the most effective lens when it comes towards engineering and working towards our freedom. That's what I got to say. That's all I have to say about that. Now that's how we kick that in there. If you're wondering what seven generations is, this is going to take you in a whole new perspective and I hope you're ready for it. Let's dig in a little bit about the Lakota tribe. Let's talk a little bit about that, what that represents and how it's gonna be um, brought up right here in seven generations. Yeah, well, listen, I had the opportunity to spend some time among the Lakota peoples, you know what I'm saying? Which if you are black from anywhere in the Midwest, it's likely that they're in your bloodline anyway. So this is our kinfolk in this degree. Um, and I spent time in the, um, the, 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 the place of the Wounded Knee Massacre. You know what I'm saying? I spent time on the Pine Ridge Reservation and I got to speak among the elders there. And what they told us is that all of the medicine, and we say medicine in terms of the psychological healing that they've had to do, when they have, because they got their own trauma, they had the boarding schools, uh, they had a lot of issues going on in their community, still currently do, but they've been able to plot through it by thinking about those seven generations. And when they, when they were able to remove all of the fog of their own colonization, of their own trauma, we found that when we shared information between black folks and between indigenous folks, we saw that there was a lot in common and we got to compare notes. And when we compared notes, we said, listen, um, there's certain things like that in terms of African thought, in terms of our pre-colonization uh, experience that look like planning seven generations down. We were all, what we have in common, a people of the land, right? We preserve the land, we protect the land. And those of us who understand how to work the land know that you're planting seeds now for future harvest, right? There's not immediate gratification. Um, those who do the things that are necessary for freedom right now, you may not live to see the results. You may not get that gratification within your lifetime. And you got to be okay with that. And that's the mindset that I learned from the Lakota elders when I was on the Pine Ridge Reservation last year. And I think that it's very important. And of course, we have things like that in our own tradition, but we got to start reconnecting with that. So I want to already just jump in and talk about our own tradition because, um, you know, I think that's something that might be known um, or, you know, that we've talked about here. But the reality is, is that these gen these um, types of things, the, the idea of going multiple generations and thinking multiple multiple generations is something that is um, is at the center and the core of. I think most um, African tribes, I try not to talk about Africa like when, you yes, know, the monolith, yeah. Right. So I, I try not to talk about it like that, but I mean, in multiple regions inside of the continent. So I think it's a pretty, you know, well known um, idea inside of the continent, right? So um, all, all throughout that, right? So we talked about the idea of um, Ubuntu, I am because we are, we are because I am. Um, you know, we look at the um, comedic. Uh, you know, culture and things of that sort. So um, to that extent, it's not just something that is of the um, Native American tribe or the indigenous tribes that are here, but I think it's something that is um, true to who we are, but that we, it's not something that we talk about a lot anymore. And why it's important for us to kind of come back to the place of thinking about multiple generations. Mm -hmm. 
And so we talk a lot about, you know, we talk a lot and not everybody, but a lot of us, you know, if you're kind of in this activist group, if you're in, if you're, if you are woke, if you're conscious, we talk about intergenerational stuff, right? If you're in your quotations woke, we talk about a lot of, a lot of things that are intergenerational, right? But, um, but, you know, you know, to kind of frame like why we're here and 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 the the purpose of even building this panel and building this this podcast is, you know, with everything that we're currently facing and everything that we are walking through um, right now, how do we begin to think about what it looks like to think intergenerationally and make decisions based on not just right here and right now, but make those decisions based on what we uh, believe is to come and, you know, what, what's coming down the pipe at some point, right? So how do we begin to think about this um, from what we know our, our ancestors did and then bring this up to present day and say, this is what we need to be doing, thinking about, you know, multiple generations down the line. I love that you brought that up, Joyce. I think that that rings true to a lot of the conversations we had. And I, so I would love for you to get a little bit into the mindset of how does that play in now with COVID being on the top of everybody's brain. And we say in seven generations, it's necessary to have this conversation. How do those two things play into each other? What's the relevancy of that? Well, I think first and foremost, um, the way that it, that it comes into play is that what we are, what we, as those of us who are community organizers and community activists and archivists, uh, what we understand is that everything that we've been talking about that exists in American society has come to the fore through the contradictions being exposed through COVID. We told people already that healthcare was not uh, equitable. We told people that, uh, that the hiring and firing practices weren't equitable. We told people this, we told America this, um, and they chose to ignore it, and as you're seeing, to their own detriment. And so what we right now have an opportunity to do as Black people is to do like my brother Theo just mentioned, is to really take a deep look at uh, ourselves, right? And I, I made a, po a, a post today that said that until until black people change their relationship with white supremacy, then white supremacy and the way that it behaves uh, is not going to change. And we're, we keep trying to change this thing from the outside in, but that's not going to work. It's, it's going to have to take um, a black initiative, uh, a, a reset of the mindset in order to change the relationship and, and uh, that we have to, to I, I like the way uh, Theo said that, to uh, suppose it, uh, uh, superiority, uh, right? It's a false advantage. It's a social yeah. advantage. That's what I'm talking about. And so we can flip. The truth of the matter is, is that black people have shown that we can flip this shit on our on its head as a matter of that. I, we, I mean, we're the creators of jazz and hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. And now it's a global phenomenon that's lasted 20 years plus and i you know so we we can do it it's just a matter of flipping the mindset and taking the lead and uh, taking the lead on that uh, i mean you've hit so many things lethal i want to kind of wrap this in with the conversation that we've been having a lot with you i love that you know something that theo talked about earlier is that we challenge those things they put before us like white supremacy and even saying that we, we challenge all those things can you talk a little bit about that mindset and kind of the wording around that. So I think that 
back in the day, I used to use the term white supremacy a lot. I don't anymore, right? And that was a conscious effort made by because, because <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it boils down to having an understanding that uh, words have meanings and the meanings of words, they do matter, right? And we, I think it was um, either Killer Mike or the brother uh, David Banner basically said that we need to be in control of our own uh, narrative, right? Because if we're not in control of the narrative, then we're not the ones telling the story. You understand what I'm saying? And so understanding that words have meanings and the meanings of words, they matter. I don't call it white supremacy because I don't see any so-called white person uh, as being supreme to me, period, no matter what, ever, right? So I call it for what it is, and I call it uh, what it is. And for me, it's European violent extreme, European descended aggression against us. You understand what I'm saying? And and it boils down to the fact that, you know, they've put things in place as far as, you know, legislations, whether it be at the local, state or federal level. Um, they've established control uh, in, you know, all the different branches of the governments, uh, whether it be the legislative branch, which where you find, you know, your, your Senate and, and your House of Representatives or whether it be an executive branch where basically you have a CEO, uh, whether it be the mayor, governor, or president, and um, the third branch of the judiciary, right? Where you have all these different uh, levels of, of courts, right? From those that are at the city and the district and the county and you know the state level, the, the, the federal level, Supreme Court of the US, and, and things of that nature, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, there was a bogus agreement made with us, right, after the so-called reconstruction era, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, truthfully speaking, there was no reconstruction that actually ever took place because think about the word to reconstruct, right? That's what reconstruction is, right? But what was actually reconstructed? Mm -hmm. Ask ourselves that, what was actually reconstructed, right? If mm -hmm. after reconstruction, right, you see all this legislation passed, right? And then a hands-off approach by those who we allow to have the power, right? Whereby they they attack us from housing with the red lining, right? You can't live here. You're barred from even written to somebody that looks like one of us. You understand what I'm saying? To education, right? Uh, here in DC, it's a phenomenal book that I read. It's called First Class. I didn't know that at one point in time in the District of Columbia, there was two separate school systems. You understand what I'm um, Whether it be uh, employment and whether it be criminal injustice system, right? They put all these things in place to give the illusion or the appearance of their superiority. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? But there is nothing superior about them as compared to us. That's just the way I feel about it. And history proves that. So I don't call it white supremacy. I call it violent European descendant extremism. That's huge. Yeah, and I want to, oh, go ahead, Theo. You got to unmute yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just, just to piggyback on, on, on what Shaka said, we're in this position because I suppose there was one thing they were supreme at, and that was violence. 
um, violence, and that's it. You won't see any examples of a civilization that is in comparison to our ancient or even more medieval civilizations than theirs that you would call inherently supreme by their own admission. By their own admission, if you read the writings of the Portuguese explorers who went to the great city of Benin, they'll tell you, this is as big as Lisbon, Portugal. The streets are wide, everything's clean. And one thing that they said, and I, I, I gotta bring this to bear in terms of the true nature of black people. From a Portuguese explorer in the African kingdom, he said, there's no locks on the doors because they don't have doors. The community was as such that there was so much trust that from the king to the lowest person on the totem pole, there still wasn't an extreme poverty. There was no word for prison industrial complex. There was no word for crack epidemic. There was no word for prostitution and gang violence. There's none of that. Those things are not inherent to our people. You see what I'm saying? Yet all of those words are the things that uh, those who seek European violent advantage would say are inherent to black people. And that's just simply not true. Now, when we talk about this seven generations concept, the, those people, the Benin Empire planned for the seventh generation. So when we do this, we're just reconnecting with who we actually are. And one of the reasons why it's so important to have this conversation now is because I believe that black America is at a crossroads. We really are. Like we're gonna have to choose. And I've said this, I don't care who, who hears it. I've said it to white audience, I've said it to black audience. The truth is the truth. The truth is that you can either have independence or you can have inclusion, but it looks like you can't have both. And here's why, those are two different paths. So when we talk about seven generations and we talk about those paths, the, the, the answer to these uh, questions is what does freedom really look like? What does freedom really look like? Because it all depends on where you want to extend your effort. How much calories are right. burned over here versus how much calories are burned over here? Is it worth the effort to try to get a historically racist system to finally play fair? knowing that when it plays fair, those on top necessarily have to break bread, they have to share. It's just the finite nature of power, it is what it is. Or is it more intelligent for us to create our own things? Because it's looking like the answer to institutional racism is owning and controlling that institution. And a collection of institutions is in fact a nation. Therefore, the most intelligent path actually it looks like is something that looks like uh, African descended nationhood. And if it can't happen here, we gotta ask where it can happen. And what do we do to take steps for that? Because if you care about independence, when they drop the ball on inclusion, it doesn't bother you as much. So right. there's, not as many, there's, there's not as many black Disney princesses. If you're not trying to be included, it doesn't matter, right? So there's not the same representation on the freaking school board or on the freaking you know um, senator or whatever. If you care more about independence, that doesn't matter as much to you. When you're searching for fighting for independence, the American election, not to say that there's not like some merit to voting because there is voting merit, especially on the local level, but it doesn't bother you as much because you're working towards creating a system of your own. And I think that we have been checkmated into this position. Mm. I, I want to jump in there. So, you know, we just had the um, Black Capital Seminar that just happened on Saturday. And let me just let me tell you. So I talked about this a little bit because what was so, what's so important to recognize is that I think um, they've sold us this idea. Like what you're talking about is essentially black capitalism, right? In a certain sense, it's it, but it, well, it's black nationalism, but black nationalism on American soil. Is that even a possibility, right? And so, so it's interesting because the more that you dig and the more that I've dug in, um, you you come to the conclusion that there has to be some 
policy that regulates and determines what it is that we do, um, you know, and 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 how we elicit that political power. And so that's something that, you know, even BBI added in, like, you know, we're five years old and just within the last two years, we've added the political arm because there's no way that we can survive on the soil without being political. And we're, we're constantly being pushed, like being political or, or being in, involved in the politics. It doesn't matter. Right. Like we're told, our, and, and I've been down this road, I've said it. So like, I've had to pivot the more that I know, the more that I pivot when I say things like our vote doesn't matter, or we, you know, we shouldn't do this. What we're not doing is we're not leveraging our collective power to get the vote to, to have the types of policies that we need in place, because this is not, it, it, we, we are taught, and it's, and it's both black and white taught this, that, that we live in a meritocracy, right? That, that what you do is how you get where you're gonna go. If you do the right things, then you'll be successful. And what black people come to know more and more, like the more you know, the more you know that what you do as a black person is mm -hmm. not the determining factor on where your outcome is. You can do all the right things. You can set yourself up in all the right places and you will not necessarily land where the average white person would land if they do all the right the right things, right? And so it's not to say that no one will land there, but it's to say that it's a crapshoot. It's not, it's not, the laws are not written for us in that manner. So, you know, I think when we're, when we're thinking from that perspective and we're looking at the, uh, at the uh, disparities that COVID is highlight, COVID is highlighting disparities, right? Like that was, that was the purpose of bringing us together. COVID is highlighting the disparities of things that we have been working on and doing individually. How do we bring this conversation to come around collectively so that we can begin to think about how we come out on the other end of this? Because because history says, legislation says, you know, we're not designed to come out on the other end of this. And we've seen this with how they wrote their 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 stimulus packages. We've seen this, you know, and how they wrote their, uh, you know, their their um, relief packages and things of that sort, you know, that are being written in and the and the number of of um, folks in the black community that are essentially written out of what's considered race neutral policy, right? So my bad, H. I know you want to. <laughs> no, no. Listen, that was good. We're running this show like Run DMC. You know what I'm saying? Or Outcast. When you get done, I, when I'm gonna come through. I'm, I'm coming right in after you. It ain't no big deal. So one of the things that I want to mention. This is kind of to piggyback on what uh, uh, Brother Theo was saying. Is that uh, you know, in even within white culture, they understand the processes that are necessary in order for power. Uh, one of my favorite books, uh, self self help books, is a book by uh, Stephen Covey. Right, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, and in this book, he talks about that there are three processes that individual human beings must go through, and that organizations must go through. And I want to just quickly state what those are and just put it on people's mind for a way towards seven generations. The first stage is what he calls dependence. And that is when a child is born, it's dependent on its mother and is for in order to operate, in order to, you know, to be fed, blase skippy, right? The next level is independence. That's the teenage years where they start feeling themselves. They don't need, you know, they don't want their mom to come to school with them. Blase, skippy, da da da. The last stage is interdependence, and that is that is where you work with others on a power to power level. You're not, and, and here's the problem: what black people have done. 
we have tried to skip from going dependent to interdependent. And because we've tried to do that, then the culture itself does not respect us as us being able to sit down face to face with uh, uh, our, uh, with others at the table and negotiate from a, a position of power. Let me give you a quick example of that. Uh, we're about to move into election season. The best that black people are doing right now, the best that black people are doing right now is begging for crumbs at a white man's table. That's the best that we're doing, the very best. And that is because we as black people have not come together and become independent of this system so that it has to negotiate with us in order for us to participate and become interdependent. But black folks want to swear that we're in a crisis right now and that we all got to get behind blue. And if we don't do that, then this whole thing, we're going to be jacked up. The truth of the matter is Trump ain't no different than Lincoln. Trump ain't no different than any other president that we've had. Black folks is going to be okay. I'm, and I'm going to say this and, and, and pass the mic. KRS-One said it best. He said that we will be here forever, forever and ever, forever and ever. Get that through your head. Meaning that don't, don't push black people into trying to to function out of crisis. We've been in crisis ever since the boats pulled up to Africa. There ain't been no lows of crisis for us where, oh, those were the good years, right? We had those great years, right? right? And now we're like, that was good. All of a sudden we in crisis. No, all these cats have been orange to us. So what we need to do is to become independent in thought, and in action, and then if we so choose to negotiate, like Theo was saying, maybe we choose to be here, maybe we bounce to uh, to South America, maybe we bounce back to the motherland, but we do so from a position of power, not a position of fear. I like that. Lito, I know you have something on that. I know that's right up your alley. Please jump in. Man, a lot said. I'm enjoying myself. Um, so um, I want to go back, right? Something the brother Theo uh, spoke on, uh, race, racist, and uh, racism, right? So when you look at uh, the etymology, right? And the historical origins of, because y'all are going to hear me say this repeatedly throughout what it is we're doing with 7Gen, right? Words have meanings and the meanings of words matter, right? And maybe Theo and Jice might remember, but I wrote about this uh, not too long ago um, in an article I pushed out, right? But this word race, right? I don't get caught up on that as far as what it's 1500, as far as the year is concerned, uh, interpretive or definition is. I go further back, right? To the 1300s when race stood for and meant competition when race stood for and was about speed of movement from one point to the next point against a competitor to see who can get from point A to point B the fastest. You understand what I'm saying? And so if you look at the suffixes of the words racist and racism, right? I-S-T, I-S-M, right? Um, what you, what you come up with is what is a racist? A racist, I-S-T, means to believe in a particular uh, ideology or philosophy, whatever the case may be, right? So what is a racist? 
A race is a person who believes in the competition of getting from point A to point B. Racism, then ISM, is that system, right? So racism is the system from getting from point A to point B, right? So what we have to understand is when we talk about racism, we're talking about a system of competition that is where, 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 where the playing field is stacked against us. So there are some things that we call racist and there are some things that we call racism. You understand what I'm saying? And they're not racist and they're not racism. It's just competition. And we need to view it that way. You understand what I'm saying? Because it changes our mindset. You understand what I'm saying? And if we realize that we are in a competition, you understand what I'm saying? Listen, nature is the best example I can point to, right? Black army ants and red ants. When they meet up in the uh, Amazon jungle, what do they do? They compete for the resources, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. That's nature. You understand right. what I'm saying? And what we have to understand is we're going against nature. Mm. What is meant to be natural, mm. right? Competition is good. And so we need to step our game up as a people and realize that we're in competition. Point yeah. blank period. Competition for what? Competition for the resources. Mm -hmm. Resources. You understand what I'm saying? The second yeah. point, when we talk about fear <clears throat> and we talk about we're being told that we have to vote blue or we have to vote this way, you have to vote that way, whatever the case may be. Listen, understand this, right? And the brother Killer Mike, I recently, my aunt, as a matter of fact, uh, matriarch in my family, sent me this uh, clip of the brother uh, speaking. He was basically talking about, you know, blue or red doesn't matter. We debate and we argue over which master we're going to serve. You understand what I'm saying? And that, to me, resonates and it's ludicrous to me. You understand what I'm saying? And what it came to what I came to the conclusion with is this. As a people, we're very disrespectful of the sacrifices made by our ancestors and our elders in the generation before us. You understand what I'm saying? Because they were able to overcome their fears. Yeah. And we say that we unable to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say it again for you, brother. We seem to be unable to overcome our fears. Right. We don't want to really sacrifice and we don't want to really struggle and we don't want to get punched in the face. We're afraid to fight and we're being told how to fight. Tell me something. Right. We got two sisters on the panel with us. Right. I'm about to get real real with this. Right. We got two sisters on the panel with us. Right. Let me tell you something. Right. Check it out. Sexual assault. Do you allow the person who assaults you to tell you how you should feel and how you should deal with them from a punitive perspective? Mm. Absolutely not. It is ludicrous. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. So therefore, right, when we bring that into the context of the situation we're in right now, how dare anyone tell me or any sister as a black person how it is we need to feel and how it is we need to deal with the situation that we're facing in this society, period. Yo, yo, let me take that, that, that is very audacious of them. You understand what I'm saying? And if we if we really we sit here and we cry and we mourn and we visit Atlanta and we go and check out the MLK Center for Peace and so forth and so on and so da 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 da, right? But what we forget is in his 1963 letter from Birmingham, the brother told us, hey yo, watch them, watch them progressives. Come on, watch them liberals, watch Come them liberals, the ones who think that they can tell us. When and how, you understand what I'm saying? That we can achieve our uh, freedom, right? 
and 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 what was it? Mother uh Queen Mother uh Coretta Scott King. What did she say? What did she say? She said, right, freedom is fought for in every generation. Mm. What I'm saying? In Ooh. every generation. So, you know, what I'm what I, the point I'm getting at is this, right? We need to stop being afraid. And we're very disrespectful to our ancestors and our elders and whatnot, right? Who were able to overcome their fears. And not just their fears, but honestly, like, and, and to that point, like, when, one of the things that irritates me the most is that it's not even like we're afraid of the physical violence. It's that we're afraid to lose our comfort. Like, people don't want to be cold. They don't want to be too hot. They don't want to be without their couch. They don't want to be without their TV. They, they don't want to be without their iPhones. They and they don't like, basic, basic comfort, you know, basic comfort shit, right? We don't, we ain't even talking about, like, real things like you need to go outside and instead of waiting in line overnight for fucking Jordans, huh. you can wait overnight in a line to make sure that you voted for the right person that was going to move us forward, which unfortunately I don't feel like we have nobody right now. Like we haven't cultivated anybody. That's right. Let me just tell you where my vote is not to be clear. It's not with Biden and it's not with Trump. And if that means that I'm just writing in Boo-boo the fool, like I trust <laughs> people a little bit more than I trust people. We can't go with just the basic discomforts, much less do we want to really address the idea of being violent. And what, what I feel like is worse is the, the condemnation on anyone who does buck up to violence is on the person bucking up. And then right. you hear, well, we need to be better than them, or we need to do better than that. Better than what? Right. Because right. it really is like what you're saying. It is a fight in a race for resources. And, and you can look at a, a, a fight or a race in two different ways. But when you're racing, like I know when I'm when I'm running track, right? You run track and and you're you're in that last leg, or hell, in any leg, but you know, there's a strategy to it, right? You're in that last leg, it's a fight to the finish. It's not just a friendly competition like you're you are, you know, you're fighting for every inch, every second to get across that finish line. So however people want to mm -hmm. use that language, it is what it is. And what to your point of the, you know, fighting over the resources, I think that's a key place that, you know, we're going to need to really address in this talk around coronavirus and, and the talk around what it looks like under these pandemics, under these things, because you have people who are scraping by looking to survive. So we're not thinking about how or the allocation of where these resources are really going. Oh, I can talk about that because we just found out where the resources went. Let's so, talk about it. I think that's a big thing that we want to really talk about, the COVID crisis versus the COVID come up. So yeah, please. yeah, yeah. So let's talk about who really came up during COVID right now, the billionaire talk class. The billionaire class uh, has, I believe, obtained uh, upwards of $450 billion over the last few months has just gone to the billionaire class. And specifically, those billionaires are Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos. Why? Because everybody was ordering from Amazon and everybody was on social media. And so whatever ad dollars, whatever type of commerce was being exchanged to make sure that our needs still got met, those people who created these whale-like institutions, any company, they said, this was in Forbes magazine, any company that set up a technically based commerce system was the company that came up, meaning if you were a mom and pop, but you didn't have a technically based commerce and delivery system, 
You did not come up during COVID-19. You see what I'm saying? So what does that look like for somebody like me? Because I got knocked on my behind because of this. I'm a speaker, right? right. That means there's got to be people. If ain't nobody gathering, they distancing me from my money socially. So I didn't get none of that money. So me as part of this adaptation, I have actually written uh, an electronic program what do I do? I'm a public speaker, right? I have been on stage for the last 20 years addressing people and motivating them with the power of my words. So I have to actually create a package that can be bought online. Yeah. And that's what I'm about to do. So be on the lookout for the Spitfire public speaking uh, program. There it is. That's there it is. Thing. And you're going to actually be able to download it. And I have a, I literally am filming an e-commerce, an e-course that I can profit from commercially online so that we can do that, so I can still do my craft and take care of my little three-month-old who I just got, right? Let me just say this about this uh, COVID-19 situation. So we see who got uppercutted by this, and that's the working class. And a lot of us are in the working class. And if you're not a quote-unquote essential worker like my sister is, she's a nurse, for example, right? There's a lot of working class jobs that Black folks had that we actually needed the economy to open for. How do I know that? Uh, Shop Talk Live. Who am I around? Barbers. Nobody was getting their hair cut, right? right? So this is a group that are often felons, brothers and sisters who are just coming out to trap, who literally were told that their jobs was not essential, but that rent was still due, right? Right. And so what this did for us is that we, not being a nation, did not allow, we're not allowed to make national decisions for the good of the commerce of our folks. There's about 35 million of us that are newly unemployed and the new statistics say only 42% of those jobs are coming back. Only literally 42% of those jobs are coming back. So we have a new great depression on our hands. This is a crisis that presents itself for an opportunity, but we have to be sure to take it. Cause I'll leave with this. Since we're talking about seven generations, let's talk about where we're going to be in a generation and a half. That's right. Uh, be, 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 because in one generation and a half, by the year 2050, by all calculations, the black community is looking to have zero net worth. Zero net worth. That means our debt to income ratio is set to be an absolute. It's, it's, it's fast tracked because it, of it. it, it and COVID just, COVID just just fast tracked it. But let's look at why. The reason why that's the case is because those who have are accumulating interest on the money that they have just sitting there faster than the economy itself is expanding which means that that money is coming from nowhere but the bottom. We're paying to be poor simply by the mechanisms of commerce that we engage. So what this means to us is that if we're going to plan to be successful for the next generations, we have to create economic machines that accumulate capital in some kind of way, which means institutional wealth, in a way that we saw what happened with the billionaires. In some kind of way, we have to create that. And that's going to take a collective amount of bargaining and being with each other and trusting one another to create these institutions. Because if not, in a generation and a half, and it looks like now in a generation, we are set to be dead broke. These are the numbers. We are paying to be poor. That I heard that way. too. I heard that too. That landed in a whole different way. Being right. poor is expensive. Yeah, it is. Being poor is expensive. And so, you know, I, I just want to jump in real quick and talk, and you know, I want to reiterate why we're talking about seven generations. And I just want to nail this down is that 
because since we came to these shores, we have been operating in a state of crisis. We don't think seven generations down. Let's be very clear, though. It's not just because we're black people and we just don't naturally think in seven generations. Because right. we do. Because we're under crisis. Right. We've been put right. in crisis because, trust me, trust and believe, the Lakota and the Iroquois didn't come up with seven generations after white folks got here. They had that before white folks landed on their helmet, right? Mm -hmm. So that's those are type of philosophies and, and visions that you have when you're a free people. And so we have to go back and get ourselves in our free minds when we were free people and how we plotted and how we planned in order to move forward. Now, seven generations, black people have a hard time even conceiving of that. Right. Most of us, because we've been here uh, and, and the circumstances that we got here can't even go back seven generations. Much Most of us can't go back four. And right. so we got to be very real about that and, and the importance of, again, why seven generations is important. And it's important because and, and, and our ancestors taught, it was, taught us it was important by building the pyramids. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is that the pyramids, the the the. The people that started the pyramid did not see the capstone put on that pyramid. Most pyramids took 700 years to build. These aren't things that they do downtown and in five, six years, they throw up a, a, a tower. No, these things took seven generations. So it was the great, 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 great grandchildren of the of the person that started it or the people that started it that put that capstone. So that's a mentality. That's a mentality. So when we're out here talking, what we're going to do with this show is really to begin to stretch our minds out of crisis, yeah. right? We're, we're going to be doing a walking, moving podcast meditation because that's what meditation is for, is for you to freeze time and move your mind outside of that, that period of time that you're in. And so I'm really excited about doing that with this this group of time travelers in, in, in particular, so that we can really focus on and have a vision for what are our great, 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 great grandchildren going to inherit from us, other than fear, other than doubt, mm -hmm. other than self-hate. Mm -hmm. That's huge. And so you hit that so wonderfully. I think we're, we're looking at this now in a whole, and we're talking about we're, we're paying to be poor. We're talking about how do we change this mindset? How do we look? And then we're seeing, okay, billionaires are becoming richer by the moment. How do we talk to our people about intellectual consumerism? How do we talk to them about buying smart, about being smart? How do we talk to them about that mindset shift? So let me uh, speak to that for a little bit. Um, because what we're getting into and talking about at this point in time, right, is the difference between being a producer slash manufacturer of goods and a consumer of goods, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there is this, I'll call it a, a backwards understanding, right? Um, whereby we, uh, and I don't, I'm using we not to submit, not to talk about, you know, us here on this panel, us here in this discussion, but I don't separate myself from my people. So I'm talking about we as a community, we as a nation, we as black folk, right? Um, we have a collective misunderstanding, right? We seem to think that, uh, we need the manufacturers, right? We seem to think that we need the producers of all the goods that uh, we go out here and we purchase and we buy with our hard earned uh, money. Wrong, you see what I'm saying? They need us because at the end of the day, the bottom line is Jeff Bezos isn't worth 120, $130 billion without consumers. Yeah. 
You understand what I'm saying? Facebook isn't worth whatever it's worth without consumers. You see what I'm saying? Um, and so we have to understand that, you know, the relationship and the understanding of that relationship is kind of off, right? And, and we can look to the, the marketing and the advertising and the things that are uh, put in place uh, uh, as a result of uh, the weaponization of, of work and studies and, and, and things of that nature done by Sigmund Freud, by his nephew, uh, Edward Mays. You understand what I'm saying? Um, they called this guy the father of propaganda for a reason. You understand what I'm saying? Um, he, he started, you know, this whole marketing, this whole, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, public affairs and public relations and things of that nature, right? Um, advertising and things like, like that, right? So what has to be understood is, right, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier um, with regard to this fear that we have, right? We're not only afraid to suffer, right, but we're afraid to do without. You understand what I'm saying? And, and for example, for example, right, back in the days, I remember uh, the brother uh, Stefan Marbury, right? Young kid, you know what I'm saying, out of Brooklyn, New York, Coney Island basketball player, right? I really realized that, realized that you know, the big name, big brand name sneakers, right? Kids was out here killing each other, right? Just to have a pair of Nikes, a pair of Adidas, a pair of Reebok, a pair of whatever was trending and hot, right? So the brother said, you know what? Said these kids are here killing each other for 200, 150, whatever, 175 dollar pair of sneakers or whatnot. I'm gonna produce some joints, and these joints from course 15 bucks, 35 dollars at the most. You understand what I'm saying? But guess what? We as consumers didn't realize, but guess what? His sneaker was just as good, just as good. You understand what I'm saying? We didn't realize that. And what happened? You understand what I'm saying, right? We kept going to the Nikes and we kept going to the, you know, the, the name brand, the fashionable things, the trendy things. Mm -hmm. but where did that get us? You know, it used right. to be back in the day, um, I think it was 2004, Motorola had the hottest top notch uh, uh, cell phone on the block, right? The flip razor, whatever they, whatever they call it, right? You see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Then Apple dropped the iPhone and boom! took over the market. You understand what I'm saying? Because everybody, oh yeah, I want to have this new trendy thing. Listen, you're not being a smart consumer. You understand what I'm saying? If you don't understand that they need us more than we need them. That's a huge mindset shift. Mindset. Yeah. You're hitting on so many things. So I, one of the so questions that I received other, uh, this other comment, it's, it's, it's on my, my watch party, so it ain't on the actual broadcast, but Taj said ownership as a mantra and a model is key. And I think that is important because when we're talking about this, you know, shift, right, this paradigm shift that needs to happen, we do have to begin to think about what it is that we're buying. If you have the opportunity to be getting in any of these dollars in, in any sort of a surplus outside of the basics that you, that you have, we need to think about what's the next thing that you're going to start investing in um, that is going to be thinking about how, what can be not only utilized today, but what can grow and what could be passed on. Because one of the things, and this really goes back to the policy conversation, you know, that is so prevalent and how we've been locked out of the market and how these things have come down to where every single time there's a recession and every single time there's an issue, it hits us the hardest, uh, you know, in this, in this sense where we're not thinking about the things that we should be purchasing. We're not thinking about, you know, the things that really matter. Um, we are caught up in, in, you know, price and all of that, right, which is a huge propaganda ploy, which is, a, which is to me, an entirely like, 
another segment of that conversation. But a lot of this, again, just comes down to policy. When, when I really want to tie it back to what you said about the resources, because I think as we continue to go down, we have to think about that. And there was something that you uh, mentioned, Shock um, Lethal, as we were putting this together initially is around um, the uh, idea of why the country can do this, right? Like where these stimulus dollars come from, why the country can just produce all this money that they seemingly couldn't produce, right? I mean, it's been like budget crisis after budget crisis after budget crisis. We finna shut the whole government down. There's no dollars for Medicaid. There's no dollars for Medicare. There's no dollars for education. There's no dollars for infrastructure. But as soon as a crisis hits and we get it, there's budget deficits here and there and all over the place. Right. But when it mattered, they were able to infuse trillions, trillions of dollars into the economy. Right. Out the blue, just printing money. Right. Like, I mean, and and when we're looking at how they did this and just put it out there. Right. This is ultimately a battle over the resources. And what this really mm -hmm. says is that they control the resources that we have. They control, you know what I'm saying? They, they are controlling the, the everyday lives of us from the water that we can drink, where we can get it, damn near the air that we can breathe, the roads we can drive on, the, you know what I'm saying? Whether or not you're going to get your, your, whether or not you can live with your rent forgiven or not for, I mean, Every single facet of this is coming down to what can and can be operated and controlled and who's in control of it and what portion of this are we getting control of? What portion of our lives do we have any sort of control over right now as we speak? And not even just poor black folks, the rich black folks, like mm -hmm. the Oprah's and the LeBron's and the and the and the Bays and the Jays and all of them. I mean what what currently like they might have a lot of dollars but what mm -hmm. currently are they controlling that they can then essentially buy their way out of when it comes to policy currently and that is a huge thing jice because first of all the resource that you're talking about is the most important printing press on the face of the earth and that is the printing press that makes the united states dollar it is the world's reserve currency no other country can print their way out of a crisis but That's america right. Because the dollar, even though the euro is more valuable, still is the standard world reserve currency by which all other currencies are measured against. Now, here's what we're running the risk of, we're running the risk of a huge hyperinflation problem. Because the more money that you pump into the system, the less money that the money that you already have is worth. So let's say if there was only $100 in the world and you owned one of them $100, you owned one hundredth of the world's wealth. As soon as they print $200, you own now one two hundredth of the world's wealth. Does that make sense? So the more money's in the system, the less valuable the money that you already have is. And this means a very, very dangerous thing. It means that we are going to be paying more for the necessities. And the reason why we're in this position is because ultimately we've been domesticated. When you had human beings that produced their own food and built their own houses, they didn't have these kind of problems. The fact is, is that the corporations and the government have stepped in where our skills are lacking. So literally, by the time, like, 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 have you considered that human beings are the only animals that do not build their own houses? Stop. Human beings are the only animals that do not build their own houses. We used to build our own houses, but then we had to pay people to build houses and then we paid monthly to live there. That's insane. You see what I'm saying? But once we outsource the ability to make shelter 
then we have to play by their rules. And the same thing is going with all of our necessities. Back when we could get our own stuff, back when we can grow our own food and we go into the river and whatnot. So basically, one of the things that has to happen if we are as a people to secure our legacy is we've got to get technical savvy. We have to know the how of our modern world. And I know that there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, you know what I'm saying? And we'd be like selling shea butter and stuff, you know what I'm saying? And we'd like doing all the beautification stuff. But we need some STEM and tech entrepreneurs right now. Yes. We need people who can actually create hydroponic plants, grow our own food, literally create independent systems. Because once you're able to create an independent system, you can create your own mechanisms and machinery for survival. And once you do that, you can actually create an alternate currency system that values the products that you make independent of the United States dollar. And it's not illegal because you're not counterfeiting. These independent currencies already exist. And they've been for quite some time. Bellingham Washington has one. Ithaca, New York has theirs. There's the independent currencies. And we need to actually look into these things because it takes a different kind of know-how. You digging deep because hold on, <laughs> you digging deep. But to add on to that, because I think that right there is that is a, a huge key into how we create independent systems inside the systems. When we look at certain uh, social socioeconomic groups like the Asian community, the Jewish community, things like that, like these are big, large communities that have created intercommunities within inside of the larger you know context, right? But to that point, and that's that where um, I really want, I want to pass this over to Lethal real quick because he's, he's, I want him to make the point that we've talked about around why they could print this money out like this, right? Like, why could the, why could this country just say, oh, we have a problem? Don't worry. Here's a trillion. How could they do that? Why could they do that? And what backing they have to do that? Like I, just, I want so, Lethal to really touch on that because I think what he talked about um, prior to this was such an important point out that we can't yeah. let this go without bringing it in. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so thanks for that, uh, Queen Sister Jice. Thanks for that. Um, the point you're talking about uh, that I made is is very simple, and it's in our face every day, and we all know it. Um, Federal Reserve note, we are the resource. We are the reason why, right? The Federal Reserve would say to any organization, any institution, government, right? We're gonna dump and give $6 trillion to you, help you out of this crisis. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This is why, because they know that through our labor, you understand what I'm saying? we're going to pay that debt back. And since we're talking about seven generations, what we need to understand that seven generations from now, the legacy of Shay, Lethu, Soul, Theo, and Jice will still be paying on this debt. We need to understand that. We are the resource. And if you doubt what I'm saying, right? Anyone out there watching, anyone out there listening, if you doubt what I'm saying, do your research on the relationship, right, between the Federal Reserve Bank or the Central Bank, you understand what I'm saying, and the country. Do your research on that. Start with the 1926 Federal Reserve Act. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to that. Read it in-depthly and understand. You understand what I'm saying? Right? We so work. I can read what? 
The Third Reserve, Reserve Act, and the first one was actually the the the, the nineteen twenty six was the second one. The first one was in nineteen thirteen. Yes, yeah. the Reserve Act. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Read Wait, tell me again. Nineteen thirteen. I'm putting it. In, I'm putting it in the um, chat. Nineteen thirteen and what? Federal Reserve Act. Federal Reserve Act nineteen thirteen and and Federal Reserve Act nineteen twenty six. Read them. Read those uh, pieces of legislation and understand the relationship that exists between the Department of Treasury, the Federal Reserve Bank, and you have a better understanding of why I say we are the ultimate resource. You understand what I'm saying? Because we pay taxes, don't we? Yes, we pay taxes. You understand what I'm saying? And the Federal Reserve Bank, which is a private corporation, for those who think that the Federal Reserve Bank is a U.S. government institution, it's not. You fail. You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Because it's not. It is a privately owned and operated corporation. Understand that. You understand what I'm saying? And then do your research and understand who, what's those people's names? Uh, the Warburgs. And, the and, yeah. Yeah. Understand who they are. I think to that point, and going back to Jice's point, uh, Lethal, I think, so, and since we're focusing on mindset, I, I think it's, a, it's an important point that we need to make sure that Black people understand. And that is, and, and, and Jice's question was, how were they able to just print up all this money, right? And the truth of it is, and this is the point that I want to go back to, because I, I kind of differ a bit in this whole concept of race, right? In the sense that we're competing against the other quote unquote races. I don't necessarily subscribe that way. I think that we live in an abundant universe. I think black people is the first people on this planet are tapped in into and tied into the create. It's like saying that there's a limited space of hip hop. Like hip hop will be here forever. As long as black people are here, hip hop will be here. We are infinitely creative. We live in an infinitely abundant universe. It's only the Europeans that come from this limited wealth, limited mindset that we got to hoard. But even they're proving by the passing out of dollars that there is no limit. You can, as long as you have the mindset, you can create abundantly. And that's what black people need to understand. We don't got to fight over the scraps. All we got to do is become who we are by nature, which is creators. We do it naturally. It comes from our natural self. We created the pyramid. We created uh, astrology. We created philosophy. We created engineering. We created math. So why would we have any limit? Right. And, right and, as far as what we're able to do. So, so this is going to piggyback on both you and Lethal's points, man, because that's a very important. You guys just made a point so obvious that people miss it. And it's the most powerful point. It's as big as the sky. And people just look past it. Literally, none of this stuff exists without humans. And what I mean is value is determined by humans. Gold has no worth without humans. And if you get enough humans, you have a matrix. If you get enough humans, you have a system. It just is what it is. And the problem is that we've all bought into the idea that these paper is wealth. The fact is, you wouldn't say that inches are actually like, you would say, I can't build a house because there aren't enough inches. Inches are just a measurement of wealth. Dollars are just a measurement of wealth. You see what I'm saying? They're just a measurement of something. And if you don't believe me, Go to another currency, a country, country, bring back the currency. If it's not as valuable as ours, you can put a million of that currency on the table. People are like, what the hell is this? Get this monopoly crap off the table. Put that in that country and you'll get robbed, right? 
because it's the humans who agree upon the value. Human creativity is how this is all based. Africa's most important resource among the gold and the ivory and the diamonds was the people, okay? Therefore, the only currencies are actually creativity and coercion. That's right. Those are the only currencies. If you look at it, human creativity has made all of this stuff up out of thin air and our imaginations. This is all new, right. right? So when we create and when we share, when we are connected, connectivity is a currency. This was, I'm in three currencies. The only three real currencies are coercion, creativity, and connectivity. Everything else can be created out of that. So we got the connectivity part. We got the creativity part. What we don't got is the coercion. Because when it all gets said and done, if you got the power militarily to rob somebody, then that's your money. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> that's how they play. And we haven't been able to figure that part out yet because the coercion piece is the scariest part of this whole equation. Right. The blood force trauma that was initiated into our bodies and our ancestors' bodies, the that's fear right. of that has been inherited. That's right. And Dr. Francis Quest Welsing said, black people are very perceptive. Yeah. We can perceive the hell out of a situation. When it comes to problem solving, we can solve them unless solving the problem looks like a direct confrontation with the violence of European aggression and racism. Mm. Wow. We can solve any problem. Wow. The problem looks like we have to have a direct confrontation with that kind of violence. That's deep. And right. since we have it, and that's why we all short circuit. She did this experiment in the 70s and it's still true now. She asked all these black boys, who you want to be when you grow up? You want to be, I want to be like Muhammad Ali back in them days. I want to be like Marvin Gaye. I want to be like OJ Simpson back in them days. But, <laughs> but, but then Dr. Wilson but said, well, don't you want to be like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X said, and them kids were like, no, because they got killed. They got killed. You know yeah. The ironic thing is a lot brothers are willing to die for the hood, but they're not willing to die for the people. I digress. But the point is, <laughs> to figure out the coercion piece, the force piece. We can build a black Wall Street. That's why we have a hard time getting black folks on board with unity, because we've tried these paths before. We've tried Black Wall Street. We've tried Black Pantherism. We've tried all of these. We tried integration, get rich, die trying. We tried all of these things. We haven't been able to figure out the force piece of it yet, and that makes unity very difficult. And we have to face this, or else our grandchildren's grandchildren will be trying to figure out the force component of this That's as well. Right. That's right. This is huge. If you're enjoying this conversation, I want you to know there's so much more coming. Seven Generations Black. This is just episode one on why Seven Generations Black. You can follow us every week. But before we go, I just want each person on the panel real quick, just fill in this. Why Seven Generations Black? I'm going to start with you, Jice. Seven Generations Black for my babies. Mm -hmm. Love it. So, um, wow, that was a powerful one, Jice. That's a hard mm -hmm. to follow up with. I know she killed it. She killed it. So I'm. <laughs> she she went forward. I'm gonna go Sankofa. I'm gonna go backwards. Uh, seven generations black for our ancestors. That's mm -hmm. good, Mr. Lethal. Seven generations black because it's the right answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mr. Theo E.J. Wilson. Seven generations black for clarity. There's a lot of confusing pathways. Seven generations is the only light at the end of the tunnel worth me looking at. Oh. Yes. Remember this show, this show is intended to give you a new perspective. So if you heard anything that you haven't heard before, feel free to research it because there's much more coming from Seven Generations Black, the podcast 
powered by the people for the people. The one and only Jice Johnson, the Black Business Initiative. Mr. H. Soul from the Righteous Rage Institute. Yes. Mr. Theo E.J. Wilson of Shop Talk Live and Lethal. The, the Honorable Protector Initiative. We are five. No, we're not five. We're seven. <laughs> there you go. I have one in. Now I have two. Thank you for tuning in with us this week. But we're back next week. Make sure you share this with someone because we know collectively we can make the change. Let's go. All right, y'all. So until next time, peace and hustle for your last name. Oh, yeah. Not your first.